And now it's time for Eastcast and reports from coastal stations. East Utsira, West Utsira, South West Utsira and North North East Utsira. Wind South West, rain at times, good. Forties, fifties, sixties, Tyne, Dogger, German Bite, French Kiss and Swiss Roll. Westerly becoming cyclonic, good. Right here in London's East End. Operating at any level, any time, anywhere, and with anybody. Who are they? One might be your secretary, your doctor's receptionist, or a dancer in a go-go club. They're coming for you. Look, there comes one of them now. Now, now, now. Hello and welcome back to Eastcast here on Resonance 104.4 FM and DAB. Eastcast is a monthly dip into the arts, the culture and the community simmering and bubbling in East London, but that always inspires and resonates way beyond this little corner of the world. So wherever you're listening, good to have you with us. I'm Pearl Wise and I'm sad to say that Nia... Charpentier can't be with us this season, but I'm here with Katie Haler. Hello, it's good to be back. And a new member of the East Coast team, Johnny Virgo. Good evening. Hi, it's great to be here. Plus uh, some guests on tonight's show. We have Nicola Robinson and Isaac Gray in the studio talking about their latest music projects and later on... We'll be talking to Sholto Dobi, um, and he's going to encourage us to go to the dentist this autumn. And I meet up with Anglo-Brazilian immersive theatre company Zoo UK. But first, we're talking about crowdfunding, a growing phenomenon in the arts, from internationally recognised organisations like Kickstarter to UK-based platforms like Crowdfunder. Crowdfunding is growing in popularity as an investment option, be it for business or for non-profit ventures. For over 100 years, the Art Fund has been supporting museums and galleries by funding, promoting and advocating for art in the UK. And in 2014, they launched a new crowdfunding platform called Art Happens designed to help UK museums and galleries raise money for creative projects. So I went along to the Art Fund's offices in Granary Square to speak to Museum Marketing Relationship Manager, Merin Kalinowski. What does the Art Fund do? So the Art Fund is a fundraising charity for the arts. And we're probably best known for our public appeals, the most recent being for the Armada Portrait. Um, But we're also a membership charity. So we have what's called the National Art Pass, which gets our members into museums um, all over the country for free entry or 50%. Um, And all sales for that go back into supporting museums. So how did Art Happens come about? So we could see that with digital technology moving forward, um, we could see that people were starting to use crowdfunding. And we thought that this would be a really great way to harness um, awareness and the public and fundraising capabilities for museums. So we decided to set up Art Happens specifically for museums. So Art Happens has been termed the only crowdfunding platform for museums. But when you do go into galleries and museums, there are donation opportunities, Uh, some exhibitions charge for entry. Why do museums and galleries need crowdfunding? 
I think it's a really great way of bringing attention to the fact that um, exhibitions cost a lot of money to put on, so it really brings awareness to that fact. Um, It raises the profile of museums as well as fundraising for these great projects which might not otherwise happen. Um, And a lot of the projects that we've worked on have been quite innovative and exciting and they're also really publicly engaging. And without fundraising, they might not otherwise have got donations for this and they wouldn't have happened. And how successful has Art Happens been? I think it's been incredibly successful. So 18 out of 20 projects that we've run have been successful, which is really high compared to other crowdfunding platforms. Um, The projects have also been really great and and sort of speak for themselves. And can you give us a few London-based examples? So this summer, William Morris Gallery um, ran a campaign to invite Claire Toomey to... Um, create an exhibition at their gallery. Um, The most exciting thing about this was that they invited members of the public to come in and be apprentices. So where Claire had created these huge tiles with a William Morris pattern on them, uh, apprentices would then come in and spend the day actually painting these tiles and creating this beautiful gold sign which has just grown and grown over the summer. And that's on until Sunday. And that's in Walthamstow? It is, yeah. So Art Happens has been going for two years now. What's next on the agenda? So we have regular crowdfunding workshops about every three months and we've got lots of museums are interested in running campaigns in the future. Um, So if anybody, if, if a museum has a great idea and they want to run a crowdfunding project, they can come along to these workshops and find out more about Art Happens. Um, I mean, hopefully in the next two years, we sort of have even more great projects. And can you give us a hint as to any museums in the London area that are interested at the moment? Um, Well, we have at the moment running the Jewish Museum in London, are running a campaign um, to celebrate their Amy Winehouse um, exhibition coming back in the spring. So alongside the exhibition, they'd really like to have a street tour to celebrate the Camden that Amy loved. And they're working with street artist um, Pegasus, who's best known for his work of Amy, Fallen Angel. So do keep an eye out for the return of the Amy Winehouse exhibition to Camden's Jewish Museum in the spring. And you can learn more about the Art Fund by visiting their website or or following them even on Twitter at Art Fund. Thanks, Katie. So joining us now in the studio are Nicola Robinson and Isaac Gray. Hi. Thank you for joining us. us. Thank you for being here. Um, So um, just as a little introduction, you each have like a multitude of projects, um, but you're here to talk about what you do together, I think, I hope. Mm -hmm. Um, So... We're going to talk about a few things. Um, First of all, East London Audio. Mm -hmm. What is East London Audio? Uh, Basically, that's me trying to put high fidelity back into the world because I don't think it exists currently. Really? Yeah. How come? Because if you put a speaker in front of you and listen to music from it and shut your eyes, you would never believe that the musician was in front of you. That's the only goal for a speaker. And that's what we don't have. So how do you do that? How, what's, uh, well, without been, getting too technical. Work, well, I've, been, I've spent years working with uh, fringe, basically fringe loons, but some people are kind of getting there, and it's amazing when, when you do it. totally transforms it, makes it an incredible sensorial experience, and that's what I love. That's what I do. 
So how? So do you hire out these special speakers no, to because sound systems? No, the, the amount of effort involved compared to the economic return on that is absolutely rubbish. But I definitely do my absolute best in terms of certain situations to maximise high fidelity. I also just try and share what's possible with other people because it requires so much time and input, you see. So for a complete layperson, how does how do you tell the difference? Like, what, what is shut, it? Walk, into, walk in front of a pair of speakers, shut your eyes, play a record that you know is good, set and is... It, you know, wav, or it's a really good vinyl. It's not a new vinyl; they're not as good. The old vinyls are better. Good cartridge, good tone, and all that stuff. Listen to it. Shut your eyes. If you think the musicians are in front of you, and if you could genuinely believe that, then it's worked. If it hasn't, it hasn't worked. That's what it's there for. Okay, and where can we have a go? Where can we sit in front of one of these? Everyone in the world. I, I, I can't say I'm entirely there myself, but I'm getting there. But everyone in the world who has any interest is always welcome to give me a bell and pop by and have a listen to. I've got some great speakers. I've got some vintage tannoys, which are just beautiful and get there. I've got a few other weird pieces that got there, but most, just 99% of them just don't, is my experience. So the invitation is open. Oh, Nicola, absolutely. are you happy with this? <laughs> well, it's not quite telling you everything. <laughs> we do host these private parties called the Listening Rooms at our studio in East London. Um, we call it the Control Room and obviously our quad setup, which is our highest fidelity sound system. We run it in quadraphonics so that yes. the sound is around you. It's not necess- That's yeah. actually technically a less fidelity thing to do to the original recording, but it gives you a sense of being in the music. Yeah. Uh, you yeah. can turn it off, but I, I just love it. I think it's great. Yeah, so we invite our sort of closer friends and we do a sort of a listening room party where our friends bring all of their records that they want to hear on the sound system. And quite often we experience that people go, ah, I didn't even know that that track sounded like that that bit because they haven't heard the quality of the sound or it's even like a Grace Jones record and the breakdowns in the track, you just don't hear them on a normal sound system. When so. you get to the point where it feels yeah. like the artist is in front of you or even even if it's an electronic piece, when it feels that close to you, it changes the game. It really does. It really yeah. does. It's, it's, hard to, it's hard to convey, but it does. It just does. Well, I'm trying to imagine. There does seem to be a kind of move towards... I I guess it's because we're so used to listening to kind of bad MP3s, super compressed on our computers, and we forget, you know, what real things sound like, what real records sound like. So there there does seem to be a kind of move back to finding that high-fidelity sound. There's a media theorist called Marshall McLuhan who says that the medium is the message. Basically, whatever you want to say is defined by medium so you you know you can only make a certain amount of something in a television format or whatever format my goal i'd love to see is just the the breadth of what speakers can do expand so musicians can do more i firmly believe music fits the sound system it's played on fits the environment you get pop music in cars you get house music on club systems you get you know they they and the sounds work for that particular system but i'd like to see something that just favors nothing and is completely neutral and is fair and is accurate Wow, thank you. <laughs> That's all right. <laughs> Bringing music to our ears. Um, so together, you're working, I mean, you both DJ and, yes. and you organise events and you've got this whole musical world that you're, you're both involved in. But together, you, you've started a, a, a new project called Earth Boogie. Yes. Um, so what's Earth Boogie? Tell us about that. Well, Earth Boogie started really when we moved and built the warehouse, the control room, as we call it. Um, and we had been making music for about a year. Um, and then we went travelling and then we started growing together as a, a DJ duo, learning each other's sounds and Earth Boogie is what has evolved with us together. 
so Zach used to produce, I used to produce, and then together Earth Be Give Old. And it's very much an influence of our love for sort of 70s Afrobeat, psychedelic, electronic music. And I recently went to Lagos in Nigeria and kind of completely got head over heels over uh, Afrobeat in high life. And um, that combined with the last six months has resulted in uh, a large array of tracks, which we have now sort of two potential releases on in the next six months. Um, yeah, so Fresh off the really press. Really exciting. You're actually going to get to hear what's going to be our first release. Well, we should we hear it? Should we hear it now and then talk about that? Yeah, have a listen so you can get a feel.
So that was Mr. Mystery by Earth Boogie, and it's downloadable, going to be released. What's going on? Small teaser on our SoundCloud yes. at the moment. Um, obviously, when the 12-inch comes out, you'll be able to get it on vinyl and online and on Spotify. But we have a meeting with a label tomorrow, yeah. so... <laughs> we, we, we can't, we can't say anything out loud. Yeah. Um, no jinxing, but, which I'm majorly uh, doing. But, <laughs> <laughs> but you, there is actually a free download um, called The Getaway, which is a really amazing house track we've done, and we've given it out as a free download. And it, we've already had up nearly 100 downloads in the last few weeks, so it's more of a word of mouth. But if you go onto Earth Boogie on soundcloud and it's all one word earth boogie um you'll be able to see our teasers don't and forget the capital e <laughs> yeah well we'll be putting some downloadable mixes up as well but sort of teasing things out slowly excellent thank you so we will be listening out for that and i love that kind of 70s afrobeat feel and i think it's very like fashionable at the moment people are really getting back into that but the old afrobeat the 70s afrobeat sound whereas now it all seems to be i was listening to kind of some new releases um from all sorts of places um in east africa and and it seems that they have to have a vocoder all over everything which is such a shame because the the percussion and and the beats are great and then somebody singing over the top with a vocoder and it's just like it's really bad <laughs> like, da- David O I mean like you know, da- David O re- I really liked it but I was like I had to get like through the vocal first like it took me a little while to acclimatise so. <laughs> brilliant uh, come back on our show when there are, there's some new stuff we'll be very happy to have you and thank you so much for coming thank our pleasure you thank us. you you're listening to the East Coast Show on Resonance 104.4 FM and DAB. Uh, don't forget, you can get in touch with us on Twitter and Facebook at East Cast Show. And you can listen again to our interviews and music online on iTunes and at eastcastshow.com, where you can also sign up to our monthly newsletter and you'll get all that and all your audio news straight into your inbox. Now, Johnny, what have you been up to? Well, I've been on my travels. I, I first ran into ZU UK when I heard about their art installations in the Olympic Park as part of the London 2012 legacy. They hacked some decidedly ghetto-looking Brazilian payphones and had a branched experience that they asked uh, random strangers to participate in. I was blown away by their commitment to what they do and their willingness to fight for their vision. And I thought I had to interview them for my first uh, interview on Eastcast. So here it is. I'm Georgia Lopez Holmes and I'm Joint Director of ZU UK. Hello, I'm also Joint Director of ZU UK and I am Persis Chaji Maravala. So ZU UK principally exists um, to uh, have a very idealised sense of itself, a, a, a proposition that we think is almost impossible but that we always work towards, which is to eradicate loneliness in a hyper-connected world. Essentially, we create uh, projects and works that are to do with being um, kind of ceremonial or ritualistic or experiential for audiences and participants to come and join in with. We tend to work with very intimate scale and very epic scale as well. At times, something will be like an overnight theatre show for a large number of audience members that will stay with us from midnight until dawn and have breakfast at daybreak. And at other times, we'll create installations that are using technology and game design and other elements, but that are in public spaces and people can engage with them on an individual basis over a long period of time. 
I know that you guys have set up this uh, gas station here in West Ham, which mm -hmm. is. Games and Arts, am I right? Mm -hmm. Games and Arts Stratford. Games and Arts Stratford. Mm -hmm. So what's the difference between ZUUK and Gas Station here? Well, Gas Station is a venue. Uh, ZUUK works in the UK, in Brazil and internationally. But Gas Station, we opened a year ago with a very clear desire to support emerging artists, develop our own practice with our collaborators and create a space where we can host events, projects, performances with a specific intention to explore the intersection between games, arts and technology. Oh wow, so that's a real developing field right now. Mm -hmm. So how did all this start for you guys? Well, we started as two separate companies, Zekora Ure and Paraactive. And Paraactive uh, was a company that was uh, founded by myself and uh, Jonathan Grieve and we ran Paraktiv 2, forging all of our ideas from the work of Jerzy Grotowski who was a Polish theatre director, practitioner. And Zakorura uh, was more of a site-specific kind of company. Both companies, though, were already working with the uh, actor-audience relationship. And I guess you could say that that's been the mainstay of our work till now, which has crossed over about 20 years. That's still the main focus between the, the artwork and the participant. Yeah, we tend to call that dramaturgy of participation. And all that means is that we are looking at the theatricality and the dramaturgy of theatre as a discipline but not looking at any of its conventions and instead superimposing that in different forms such as game design, uh, participatory public arts and other formats to really look at this engagement with each individual at a time in a very curated way mm. and looking at that participation of that individual as a dramaturgy in itself. So one of the things that we like to say about ZU these days is that we're interested in good ideas, whether or not they're art. And what that really means is that <clears throat> everything's quite fragmented, it's quite difficult to describe what we do, because just like in our lives today, our social media lives, our work lives, our entertainment lives, are now experienced in a really fragmented way across various technologies and different platforms and different formats. And so we make work that follows that logic, really, that follows that kind of trend. Okay, so what projects have you got going on at the moment? Right now, we are making something new, and it's called uh, The Ecology of Loneliness. So yeah, so The Ecology of Loneliness is uh, a 10-piece artwork, okay. and for each of the 10 pieces, we're developing them in a slightly different way, with different collaborators in different places, and tackling a different element of what we understand by loneliness. So if you were to look at it as a whole piece, try and imagine, for example, the last 10 hours of a man before he becomes insane. What would that look like? What would these 10 hours be? What would this last day of sanity, as we understand it, look like? It would probably be very mundane. He would probably make a phone call. He would probably go for dinner. He would probably work. And so we're trying to look at those elements of our day-to-day -day lives and try and unpick elements that are daily and then look at the extraordinary nature of those relationships in the light of loneliness. Mm. But 
each of those 10 parts with a different art form. So one of them is a modified massage chair, another one is a dinner date. So does the audience, if I'm an audience member, do I get to go on a dinner date yeah. with, with one of you? No, <laughs> sorry, <All right>. overtaken. <laughs> so um, the end result of what we're hoping to happen with dinner date is that it will also function as a real dating agency. And it's more about first dates. So what is the self that you present on a first date? What are the rules? What is the game? And what we eventually want to do is have audience members who are genuinely single, genuinely looking for a relationship, and in a very um, non-ironic way, just in a really honest way, in the sense that London is supposed to be one of the loneliest cities in the world. There's so many people, and yet so many single people. And the dating scene is really, really big. Um, and we kind of wanted to respond to that, really. And we have a, an experience where we set up, we've built a restaurant um, in our container. Okay. <laughs> and a shipping container. And um, there's an actor stroke waiter and the whole thing is done on a binaurial uh, headphone system. Okay, so you can quite... hear in both ears? Well, you do normally hear in both ears with no. the headphones, but yeah, but left and right. But yeah. we're also working specialized with specialised um, uh, 3D sound okay. with people from Queen Mary's um, University, yeah. and her name is Becky and uh, Tim <laughs> and they've been helping us make this piece which um, yeah uses this binaural techniques which is makes everything feel really different to them to just sitting in the container so what kind of things have you got going on in the future it sounds like you're very busy at the minute but mm -hmm. I understand I understand you've done some great things over the summer but uh, what kind of things have you got going on in the future well there's a series of uh, residencies that we have started but will continue and they're called drift residencies. They're a model of residency that we developed 10 years ago for emerging artists and mid-career artists who want to work in a discipline other than their own. So they are methodologies for cross-disciplinary collaboration and also cross-cultural collaboration. So those will be happening in Bogota and in Montreal in the next few months. And then coming up, we also have Pick Me Up and Hold Me Tight. Yes, the project that we would like to have ready by 2017, <clears throat> where we would like all the public pay phones in England, of which are, there's about 88,000. 88, yeah. yeah, there's about 88,000 working public telephones in, the, in England at the moment, for all of them to ring at the same time. And what that will be, that same time will be, is 11 a.m., on the 1st of January 2017. And why that time? Because um, apparently that is the greatest spike in suicide rates of, across the year. After the 1st of January, the next smaller spike goes to every Monday. And the reason why we felt that this was an important idea to work with at the moment is that the trend in suicide rates are changing. Yeah. In the last couple of years, they are now going up, whereas they had been going down for a long time. The other thing that's changed is the demographic. So the it's always men that are more, but the group that are committing more suicide are men between the ages of 34 and 44. And um, so there are many theories about why that might be, especially with um, um, to do with the government's 
changes in austerity measures and so when you pick up the phone there will be an experience an interactive experience in within which you can participate and um, if that phone doesn't get picked up then it just continues to ring every Monday at 11 and in some ways that's marking the reference to what's happening in society right now but there's it's also quite a beautiful picture in terms of um, a phone a lonely phone a, a piece of technology that is now becoming more and more obsolete ringing and nobody hearing it are people interacting with what you're doing or getting in touch with you for all these things that are happening the, well the best way is to just contact us either via Facebook page Twitter our email, which is info at zu-uk.com. Um, and other ways of interacting are courses that we run at GAS, performances that we launch. And right now, we've launched with UEL, University of East London, a new MA program for artists who want to develop their personal projects within an MA setting. Uh, these will be artists that are interested in close disciplinary collaboration, that are interested in audience participation, a way to involve the audience beyond the passive relationship. And the first group is starting in two weeks' time at UEL, and this will be our first cohort. And it will run from September to September, and we are already starting to interview candidates for the next year. So that will be a great way to, to get in touch. Okay, well, thanks very much for your time, guys, and uh, good luck. I can't wait to see these, see these projects come to fruition in the near future, right? Thank you. So you really should go and check out what they're doing at the Games and Arts Stratford Station down in East London. And uh, these guys, they've been doing some great things in South America as well over the summer. And they have something planned in Bogota soon. So I recommend you check them out. You can follow them on Twitter at IamZUUK. I love the idea of binaural dates. I have no idea what that means, <laughs> but I like the idea of it. Um, just Can you do they explain? Yeah, well, you go into a space where there's an actor who plays a waiter. You have these headphones which play different uh, sounds on each, ear, each earpiece. And as a result, you get maybe instructions or maybe stimuli in either ear. And they mm. sort of, you know, they'll, you know, they'll influence how you go on the date. They might tell you to do something. They might sort of, they might stress you out. I don't know. Have you ever been on a first date that's stressy? I've been on a few of those. Yeah. Right. When are they not stressy? Come on. Well, yeah, exactly. But uh, the binaural dating, I'm sure that will be worth doing when it launches. Yeah, it I'm, sounds, I, it I'm sounds a lot of fun. I've spoken for my, my missus and she's listening, <laughs> but, you know, I might go and see what it's like just in case. <laughs> Thanks. And, and also the, the pay phones, um, I've, I've got a bit, bit of an obsession myself with them. Um, all these payphones that aren't being used, you know, no, yeah. like who uses a payphone now? But there are loads of them around. And the idea of them all ringing at the same time across the country uh, on January the 15th at 11 a.m. is just amazing. Just hearing this kind of cacophony of uh, payphones. I'm just, I just, yeah, very exciting. Not exactly marking that moment and for such a reason. It's yeah. going to be, yeah. you know, I take my hat off to them. I worked with them on one project and I saw these guys are committed. <laughs> know what they're doing so yeah fair play big up ZU UK right. thank you Johnny so um, 
Moving on from immersive theatre to more improvised music uh, with music curator uh, Sholto Dobi from Mucky Mouth, uh, <laughs> Mouth, sorry. Yeah, um, and um, you're here to tell us about a season of concerts that you are organising, co-organising at The Dentist yeah. on Chatsworth Road. That's right, yeah. Uh, we just announced it uh, about a week ago. Um and yeah, I don't know if you've been to the dentist before, but it's really lovely, great, quite small, cosy um, space. I was just thinking about how a lot of the programmes been about the dissemination of sound, um, but probably the concert series a bit more about bodies, and it's a, there's a lot of acoustic music, um, and ten, a lot of the stuff I've tended to do has been about sort of traditional instruments or like new uses of traditional instruments or the voice or whatever. Um, but yeah, basically the programme is announced. The first thing is Alistair Roberts. Uh, he's a Scottish folk singer. It's like a well of uh, traditional music and ballads, lots of violent ballads and stuff. Um, but uh, he's actually going to be doing like a more poppy project um, with a musician from Sheffield. And that's starting, yeah, that's on the 26th of September. So um, this programme, there seems to be a lot of kind of unusual collaborations or people working together who might normally, might not normally work together. How did they, how did you make that happen? How do they feel about collaborating on, on just for a specific concert? Yeah, um, I think it's been a really slow developing thing. So um, I've, I've kind of been doing it for around two years and uh, just over time got to know different musicians and had an idea who they might know or might not have collaborated with before but thought about it and I was just really lucky that every time I suggested it people said like, oh yeah, I've, like, I've wanted to collaborate with that person for ages or whatever. So so you're the musical matchmaker of this world. Could, yeah, that's another link to earlier in the programme. It could be like, yeah... I, I can't remember what you call someone who organises dates. Love Doctor or, or something? Yeah, a matchmaker. Uh, oh, a matchmaker. Right, okay, matchmaker. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. Um, so for those who don't know The Dentist, um, I've been there, I live nearby, but, you know, it's it's an unusual venue. It's not mm. open all the time. You really have to know <laughs> about it. It's a bit of yeah, a mysterious... <laughs> it's It's got a kind of um, bit of a mysterious aura around it. So, yeah, yeah. Um, Could be like one gig every six months or sort of uh, a couple in a, a few days or something, isn't it? Exactly. So it is... Uh, it's not... It's an old dentist that's on, mm-hmm. on, on, on a corner of Chatsworth Road and I guess it used to be a dentist in the old days and now it's kind of an empty shell of a shop, yeah. uh, quite small and cosy. And every so often they do this, these concerts. But obviously you've organised this kind of whole series so there'll be regular, well, regular... Phil, yeah, Phil approached me because um, he's sort of thinking about redeveloping. I think he has got plans to sort of develop the building a bit and make it like a proper venue um and he sort of thought he wouldn't really have time to organize that many concerts so he got in touch and said oh do you want to organize like a series and it's it's perfect for me because i really like working in series rather than just one-off things why why is that um kind of the opportunity to sort of build a narrative over like um a period of time um with 
like, as I said before, I quite like putting sort of uh, maybe kind of opposing things together, and uh, like some of the people playing are straight up like more like traditional musicians, and other people are totally not from that background, um, and kind of placing them against each other. Um, Can you give us some highlights of? people to expect um yeah there's like two uh uk um i can't i can't remember how you normally is it debut or yeah yeah that's right yeah okay so uk debut uh (laughs) from uh leonor boulanger who's like a a french uh singer um and uh she's just like fantastic she works with a a couple of other musicians from paris and I, i can't really believe she's she's never played like the uk before but um that's going to be October 21st. After that's a Spanish singer from the north of Spain, um, uh, from uh, I can't Asturia. It's like these mountains in the north of Spain, and um, she's kind of working with that tradition. Uh, so that would be really lovely. And then, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I'll, I'll spare you all the details. You can you can find so out. So we we can have a look at the program on yeah on on the dentist. Uh, the, so I think it's the old the old dentist dot yeah. com. Okay, and um, so that's and I also noticed on the dentist website that it's supported by the PRS for Music Foundation. What 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 does that support mean? What does it entail? You You'd don't have know. to ask Phil. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I've I actually used to live around there, but I I don't know so much about uh, about the venue. I, yeah, I mean, what what I find interesting, it, it's a kind of pre-sofa sounds. So you know, before people started organising things in their living room, the dentists were pretty much doing that, but just in an empty shop. So yeah. it's a very similar idea, but just not in somebody's home, which is fantastic. Well, um, thank you so much for no, joining us and telling us about this exciting series, which um, I think... So the first date is the, 20, the 26th, 26th so of September. So it's coming up quite soon. A week on Monday. A week on Monday. And tickets do sell yeah. out because it's a small venue. It's, yeah, it's sold out already, but we've added an earlier show now. Okay. So. Excellent. Thank you so much. That's all right. Um, So just to kind of completely change the topic, as this is Eastcast and we cover all sorts of things from all sorts of places um, with a bearing on the East. So um, over the past year, I've been collecting people's arrival stories um, to London as part of an ongoing project called Something to Declare. But wait, I've just remembered... I completely forgot. You brought us a um I did a sample I brought a little of, mix. I wasn't yeah. sure if we were short in time. No, we're definitely not, so. gonna play it. We're gonna play it okay, right yeah. now. Well So let's backtrack. That's all right. Yeah. It's yeah. a recording from last year. It is actually a recording of uh um concerts which I did in my living room. Um different bits of concerts. The first little piece is um by a musician called Abby Villiami from um Sheffield, uh, uh, no Bradford, and the other next one's like Ben Pritchard, who's a London-based uh, guitarist, and uh, I think the last one is French musician called Delphine Dora, who's just released a new album. She's a pianist. Great. So, so let's listen to that. <laughs>
So that was a compilation of sounds recorded at Mucklemouth Gigs um, by Sholto Doby. Thank you so much and sorry for the little hiccup earlier. So back to what I was saying before. Um, So over the past year, I've been collecting people's arrival stories to London as part of an ongoing project called Something to Declare. Um, During the summer, we held a live immersive event asking people to record their stories in a special arrival and declaration bureau set up at the British Museum and at Richmix. This is one of those stories by British Kurd Malik Erdal, who remembers how vulnerable her parents were when they came to London from Turkey. My name is Melek, Melek Erdal. And I'm originally from Turkey. I was born in Istanbul. And I came over to London with my parents when I was four years old. So that was um, 1989. We initially, when we came over, we stayed for six months with my uncle who had already lived here for a while. And then we got our own place. So I have a lot of memories from the time that we moved over just because it was such a poignant time and it was such a big upheaval so much change traumatic in many ways so so many vivid images and feelings those those feelings I had I still remember uh, so clearly I think what has stayed with me most is remembering how vulnerable I could see my parents were and um, that was a weird feeling. I know for most children, their f- parents are sort of heroic for a long time until the adult life. They, they realise that their parents aren't perfect. But for me, I knew instantly, I could sense my parents were afraid and felt alone and isolated and vulnerable and often lost their dignity, you know, and had to put their pride aside and you know you sensed all that I was four and I picked up the language quite quickly so I often had to help my parents with a lot I remember how frustrated they were and how embarrassed they were that they'd even have to use me for help you know and I remember going to to government offices to get our housing sorted council housing and you know how frustrated dad would get that he'd have to tell me what to say uh, about how concerned they were and worried they were or, or what they had to go through and I remember actually learning English at that time and feeling like even though I was struggling that I didn't want to let on to my parents that I was struggling because I was worried about them and I didn't want to stress them out and that being a burden from that age that the dynamics were very different from such a young age and that stayed with me to now the dynamics are that I'm responsible for my parents even though they're fine you know they can take care of themselves but they'll tell me their problems I don't tell them mine you know I remember specifically actually when I was learning English and I started the school behind Ridley Road Market this primary school and the teacher was horrible he was slightly racist he didn't like new people who came who didn't know the language and everything so I'd speak as little as I could and then I remember one time I forgot my uh, the, the little bag with the book and the pencil and everything I forgot it and he said where is it and I forgot the word forgot <laughs> so I completely froze and I had no idea what to say 
and he looked at me like I was being dismissive or rude and he got angrier and I remember that that was the first time feeling like I don't know how to express myself and I'm totally misunderstood you know and I never forget that and yeah I was I was five when that happened never forget that Filling into the UK was a really tough one for my parents and therefore myself. It was for them for a long time a feeling of not being able to take care of their child fully, feeling like inadequate in many ways and not even being able to help with my homework and not having the choice of work that they would want ideally. So my parents worked in clothes factories for a while that were just full of people like them you know uh, immigrants and when they didn't have permission to work so they had to run off when <laughs> they were raided often which happened a lot and then they had problems with child care so when days when I didn't have school dad would either take me to the factory and it's interesting the factory is now a really trendy um, pop-up like restaurant they <laughs> use it and for yoga so that's ironic but um times where he'd have to leave me at home and I was six and he'd tuck me in the couch and like put food there so I wouldn't have to move and just put the tv on and I remember that and and wanting to reassure my dad look I'm going to be a good kid because I don't want you to worry and I was always responsible because of that and I think as as time went by I think it was wonderful it grew into becoming a wonderful thing because the community there was a sense of community with all the other people who uh, migrated over from turkey and we were very close knit we did everything together we had our football teams we worked together in those factories we got together all the weekends the kids grew up together and that stayed and also it meant after a while once they settled down they had the courage to set their own business up because they didn't have uh, another choice. So it, it ingrained a lot of great things. And also what it did for me is I felt responsible for my own future. So my parents didn't have to tell me to do my homework. I did it, you know. And you were very aware that if you didn't work hard, things weren't going to be handed to you. So we worked really hard. I worked really hard in school and did extra work and mum and dad were never aware or understanding of what that involved they just needed me to appreciate and make the effort so ultimately it was a tough time but it just made us so much more grateful and positive because of that having a Kurdish heritage and being British I think it's been one of the most wonderful aspects of my life and my identity. It was difficult for a long time growing up, forming the understanding of who I was uh, as a person, even when simple things when people would ask, because I'm Kurdish from Turkey, so I've got an ethnic background, then I've got the place I was born, and then now where I grew up <laughs> since I was four, so my nationality is from here. I felt very much Kurdish for a long time, Kurdish in the UK, and it was exotic to people. It was interesting. People embraced it. London always embraced who I was, whereas in Turkey it was something that you were ashamed of and that you hid and that immediately you were a lower class of person but here multicultural was always so celebrated you know and I loved that I loved being interesting and people wanting to know about my food and my background so I was very much Kurdish for a long time until I started traveling I started traveling and I realized how British I was and I absolutely loved it like when I went back to Turkey after a very long time 
and my sense of humor and how proud I was of my sense of humor because of how much sarcasm and dry wit it was. And I just loved it. And the, the observations my family had about how, how natural I was and how relaxed I was and how confident I was in how I looked or what I was interested in. And so I, I was very aware that all of this was very British. And so since then, I think I've been able to marry the two in a wonderful way, to celebrate my background, but the fact that that can be very British too. That was Melek Erdal for Something to Declare. And there are more stories and declarations about arriving and living in London um, on somethingtodeclare.co.uk. Now, Johnny, uh, you gave us a taste of your spoken word adventure series, City of Conspiracy, last time. Can we have another chapter? Yeah, we can. And since that time, a lot of people have been buying the book online. And I'm just going to say something I should never say. Don't because it's going to be better. There's another version coming out later this year. So if you're buying a book because you heard it on Eatcast, Eastcast, don't. Until I say. All right. It's called Silence. The silence rings for a minute as the bangers on the playlist pause while the woofers on the speakers vibrate. In the hiatus, the buzz of the electric booby trap dies and for a second you hear the oh-so-near silence. Just the sound of the fridge, the rats and the chatter from next door. The sound of the buzzing coming up through the floor below. The whole building is throbbing as the sound of construction starts up on the third block across the courtyard. Today it's going to be mad hot. You step into your rubber-soled shoes and put on the gloves just in case. That's just the way you play the game. If you don't perform your daily check-in, all the data in the vault goes straight to Newscom, the Brainwashing Corporation, and the Leaks Group too. Slide the bolts across the door, open it, wrapping that kente cloth around your body tighter like a towel collecting sweat. You don't remember undressing last night, but your brain flashes back to sex in some other bed. The door groans on its hinges and the smell of rum lingers as the day washes in and you stand straight. The money's not here. You say as the light streams in and Nate stands in front of you. Dressed sharp, looking like he's ready to start something real. A fight, a protest, a lifelong friendship. The purple scarf is a risk. In these ends, wearing colours is repping a click. Now it's red versus blue. Nate knows that better than you do. You know the rules, fam. You answer to his presence. Not the words as the feather flutters down from the sky. We wear neutral colours, grey-browns in these sides, so there's no beef. We ain't got time for politics. Get dressed, says Nate. Framed by the sun as your sound system starts spazzing out bass again. The youth's lips screw up till his face is like a Rottweiler chewing like a bite tire. He's staring at you with his gaze on the gas mark five. And then... He scowls as he bends to pick the plant off the ground. Nate stops. And you'll have to uh, go to cityofconspiracy.com for the rest of that because today we're running out of time. So. Thank you very much and goodbye. Mm-hmm.